appreciate that. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 3. This is the last Sunday night that I'll be speaking to you until, I think, August 21st on a Sunday night. Uh, we will, uh, Trey is going to be speaking for us next week and, and then uh, Cameron after the service and then uh, we will be away preaching camp meeting and then when we get back you'll all be in camp meeting already and so um, <clears throat> this will be our last uh, look into First John uh, for uh, more than a month and we trust that the Lord will help us as we endeavor to preach His Word. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of this text, 1 John chapter 3. And we're going to start in 18 and we'll finish out the chapter. You pray as we endeavor to try to preach this text. My little children. I love that about John. It's one of my favorite things that John, when he writes, my little children, it just, it just does something for me. My little children. Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. And He that keepeth His commandments dwell in Him, and He in Him. Hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. I'd like to speak to us tonight on our conscience. On our conscience. Father, we ask one more time that you do something for us. That this would not just be an exercise of the mind that this would not just be an opportunity to check off our spiritual obligations for the week, but that one more time that you would meet with us and you would minister to our hearts and that we would follow after you with, with a, a more fervent devotion. We ask that you would touch these lips of clay. And Father, that your words would be the only words spoken and that you be glorified and honored in it. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. A man had sat down for a long weekend. He had his newspaper there, and he had, uh, was all excited about his long weekend of doing nothing. And his wife came by, and she had a bucket and sponge and claws and you know our wives they give us honeydew list 
You know, I've never heard of a man giving his wife a honeydew list. I think we're afraid of sleeping on the couch. <laughs> but we, you know, she had, she had her, her uh, things, she, you know, her mop and her bucket and all these things. And she kind of, you know, sighed, you know how they do. And he looks over his paper begrudgingly. And she says, ah, don't worry about a thing, honey. She says, I'm not going to bother you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything on your long weekend. I'm just going to let your conscience be your guide. <laughs> and pretty soon he was outside washing windows and muttering under his breath, Every time I listen to that thing, it ruins my relaxing. <laughs> you know, the conscience is something that we talk to our children about quite a bit, don't we? And what's interesting to me is that we don't talk as adults very much about our conscience. And John here gives us some, some insights and some some discussion on our conscience, and I think it's needful for us to, to pause and consider the conscience. Now, there's some people who tell us that the Holy Spirit is the conscience, and we know that can't be right, because our conscience can be wrong, and the Holy Spirit cannot be wrong. But as we think about the conscience, and we think about its role in our lives, and it, and we recognize that a conscience can be a good thing. In fact, we teach our children that a conscience is a good thing. It has a lot of good things that it does for us. It can help us in spiritual warfare. To know that in the middle of, of uh, the enemy attacking us and, and you know, telling us that, that you know, we, we don't have the goods and we don't have... Uh, uh, you know, we, we're not uh, Christian or we're not sanctified. Our conscience can uh, help us to, re to recognize, you know, I, I, my conscience is clear. And, you know, I, you know I, I would think, you know, when I was a young Christian, you know, I, we'd have a good service and we'd enjoy it. I'd wake up the next day and I didn't feel anything. And I think maybe I lost it. I thought I was supposed to feel like that all the time. And it was a wise pastor that said to me, he says, you check your conscience. Have you done anything between when you last knew you were saved until that moment to, to, to violate God's law? Check your conscience. And that really helped steady me in the midst of spiritual warfare. It can be in a place of encouragement. Paul was facing all sorts of accusations and all sorts of people doubting his uh, apostleship and, uh, and uh, doubting uh, why he ha was speaking the way he was to the church at Corinth, especially. And one of the things that Paul spoke of that, that kept him in the midst of, of trials, in the midst of difficulties, was that he had a clear conscience. That his conscience was clear. That's an important thing to have our conscience clear 
when we're going through the trials of life. You know, there's a lot of people who believe that the bad things happen in our lives because we've got something wrong with us, that, that we've sinned, that we've fallen in some way. And, uh, you know, the, these health and wealth preachers, they, they, they talk like if, if you were living right, you'd have all this, you know, wonderful health and wealth. And, and I wonder, did they cut the book of Job out of their Bible? That's what the whole book of Job is about, is that you don't, uh, uh, health and wealth are not a part of this uh, great salvation plan. And in the midst of, of Job's suffering, in the midst of Job losing his wealth and losing his family and losing uh, uh, his health, losing all the things that we would consider makes a man wealthy, whether it's financially or physically or in his relationships, he lost it all. And here's what Job could hold on to. He had a clear conscience. And even though his friends said, you know, we think there's some, that you have hidden sin or else God wouldn't have done this to you. You know, in the midst of this spiritual battle, in the midst of this warfare, in the midst of this, this trial that you're going through, uh, Job, uh, we want you to know we don't have any confidence in you. And Job said, my conscience is clear. He said, I wish I had a mediator. I wish I had someone that would go between me and God so that I could find out what God's doing in my life because as far as I know, I'm still in the clear. What a great testimony in the midst of a horrific trial to say, my conscience is clear. Amen. Amen. My conscience is clear. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to say, I've got a clear conscience. Conscience is an aid to us in the midst of temptation, isn't it? Joseph. He's far away from home. He's far away from mommy and daddy. His mom, of course, has already passed on. But he's far away from any kind of influence, anybody that would know what he would do. And Joseph said, I'm going to keep my conscience clear in the midst of temptation. Oh, that, oh, that we would all, but especially our young people, get a hold of this. Even when nobody's looking, what a wonderful thing to be able to say, I want to keep my conscience clear. Whether anybody knows, whether anybody sees, whether, whether, whether it ever comes to light or not, I want to have a clear conscience. Our consciences can be good things. But you know, a conscience doesn't always, isn't always good. A conscience can be bad. Consciences can have a, have a negative effect on our lives. The Bible tells us, in fact, it's Paul writing to Timothy again, and he says that we can have our consciences seared as well with a hot iron. We can, we can get to the place that we have overridden our conscience so many times that we no longer feel the effects of our conscience. I believe it was a, a Native American tribe that used to tell their young people that inside of every person's heart was a triangle. And every time that, that you violated your conscience, that 
that triangle would turn and prick your heart, that you would feel the sharp edges. But over time, as it would turn, it would wear those edges smooth. And, e- and even though that, that triangle was spinning, it was now a circle, and no, you couldn't feel it anymore. Seared with a hot iron. You, you no longer feel it. You no longer recognize that what you're doing is wrong. And, and we are living in a culture that wants to embrace sin and call it good. And we are living in a time when the conscience is being seared. It's a dangerous thing to see our conscience. But we don't listen to it anymore. And that our conscience no longer has a voice. I think it's a dangerous thing to, to go very long without having heard from your conscience. To go a long time without ever hearing your conscience speak to us. Just say, are you sure you want to do that? You know what, I, I truly believe that the sanctified heart has a more sensitive conscience than just about any other kind of person in the world. And probably just about, just, probably I can say that firmly. The sanctified person is careful about who they may have offended or who they may have hurt. And the sanctified person is the person who is most likely to apologize even when apologies are not necessary. But when we sear our conscience, oh, that was just a mistake. Oh, well, if they don't like it, well, that's just tough luck. Oh, if that's, if that's how they feel about it, you know, I, I guess they, you know, that shows who's got, really got the problem, they do. That's not how the conscience of the sanctified person works. Conscience of the sanctified heart is very careful that we would not be a stumbling block or hurt to someone else. Conscience can also be wrong. It can, it can be taught incorrectly. We are all, all of our consciences have been programmed by our parents and by our, uh, the company we've kept, the, the society that we live in, the culture that we live in. All of that has shaped our conscience. It shaped it. It amazes me that there are those in, in politics today, those that that hold uh, office in Washington, D.C., who claim to be Catholic or Methodist or, or whatever their religion is, and they are staunchly for abortion. In fact, one, I just read this week, I won't tell you who it is, you can look it up for yourself if you want to, but one uh, uh, politician who, uh, as I understand it, is a Methodist, wants to have abortion legal through 36 weeks. 36 weeks, they're viable. They don't, need, they don't even need uh, uh, to be inside a, of a mother to survive with the medical technology we have. And, and yet, something has happened in that heart, in that mind, that the conscience is now seared 
The conscience has been programmed. I don't know whether it was through uh, their parents. I don't know whether, whether it was uh, informed by their politics and they made their politics uh, more important than the Bible. I'm not sure why, how they got to that conclusion, but they have uh, taken the stand contrary to God's word, contrary to the teachings of their own faith, that abortion should be legal up, up to and including 36 weeks. They've been programmed. They've been taught. And do you know what you've been taught and you've been trained by your parents that certain things are right and certain things are wrong. There's some, there's some children who are, who are taught to, to lie and to cheat in order and steal in order to uh, provide for the family. When we went down to Mexico City, we, when we were there, I don't know what the current numbers are, but when we went down, this was probably 2001, there were 30,000 people who lived in the Mexico City dump. That's a big city, just in the dump. And just about everywhere we went, there were children begging. But you know, there, some of your children wouldn't beg no matter how hungry they were. Because some here in our, in our Midwestern culture, in our Midwestern pride, we don't, we don't beg. We don't, if we have need, we don't even tell anybody that we have need. We just kind of hold it in and, and just pray and hope God meets the need and we don't even need, tell our church family we have the need. Our conscience has been trained. It can be trained well and it can be trained poorly. And there are some people, there are some people who have some weird ideas about Christianity. They've got some really wacky ideas. And you go, where did you get that? Probably I shouldn't name names, but I'm going to tonight. Just because I'm feeling a little ornery. The Westboro Baptist Church. They're raising their kids to, and teaching them that God hates gays. Where is that in God's word? God loves everyone. Amen. He loves everyone. He doesn't hate them. Doesn't approve of their lifestyle. Doesn't approve of, of what they're doing. God's word's very clear. But God doesn't hate them any more than he hates anyone here. He loves them. And they can hold up their signs. But you know what happens? Those kids have come out programmed. They're growing up in that church. And now they're protesting and they're say, doing, saying the same things they were taught. And are they doing it out of maliciousness? Probably not. Those that have been raised that way probably don't know any better. And if you ask them if you have a clear conscience, they probably would say to you, you know, I do. I have a clear conscience. Even though you're saying hateful, mean things and, and unloving uh, words towards those that, that participate in that lifestyle, well, of course, because God hates them. Their training has led them wrong. Your conscience can, can also be 
messed up. It can wrong, be wrong to the place that it fuels paranoia. Paranoia. Proverb writer tells us that the wicked flee when no one pursues. Your conscience can cause you to think that someone's watching you when no one's watching. And, you know, sometimes this can be good. Sometimes this can help drive uh, someone to, to seek forgiveness. Sometimes it can be positive. But it can also be bad. And that it causes a person to always live in fear. When is it bad? How does that look like when it fuels paranoia? It's the person who never can get it settled in their heart that they have the witness of the Spirit that they're really saved or really sanctified. That every revival and every camp meeting, they're coming to an altar and they've got not eternal security, but they've got eternal insecurity. They keep going to the altar over and over and over again. Maybe I've disappointed God. Maybe I've done something wrong. Maybe I haven't had enough faith. Well, maybe uh, God's not happy with me. Maybe, uh, maybe there's something not right. Uh, I, I haven't felt God's presence uh, in my devotions lately. Uh, oh, I, and they just, they just wring their hands in nervousness. And it drives a paranoia. And folks, that's not healthy. Do you know what will happen? If that continues for a long time, it'll shipwreck your faith to the place that you'll stop seeking. Because you'll find that God, and this is, what, this is your perception, it's not reality, but the perception that you'll have is that God doesn't keep His word because He doesn't save you. And Satan will come along and say that God doesn't love you enough to save you. That, that God somehow has excluded you from his plan of salvation. That's why I, one, of the, one of the many reasons I absolutely detest the predestination theology. Because I think it really hurts the people with very sensitive consciences that have... Uh, gone into a place of paranoia. I'm glad, as a Wesleyan Arminian, I can look every single one of you in the face and tell you that God chose you for salvation. I can do that without any fear of being wrong. I don't have any doubt in my mind that every single person in this uh, congregation not only uh, can be saved, but I believe that, that if they'll beat the conditions, they will be saved. I believe everybody here not only can be, but will be sanctified when they meet the conditions. I believe everyone here can make heaven their home. And not only can, but if they'll meet the conditions, will make heaven their home. And not just the people in this building, but everybody in Altamont. And not just Altamont, but everybody in Kansas. And not just Kansas, but in the United States. And not just the United States, but this whole world. Every breathing soul this evening can be saved and will be saved if they'll meet the conditions.
But when we have a paranoia, when our conscience is not healthy and it creates a paranoia, we can fall under the uh, lie and the delusion of the enemy that we are outside of God's love or God's grace or God's reach somehow. I would just want you to know that if you're in paranoia, if you're wondering if maybe you're outside of God's grace, I want you to know that His grace has reached further than your sin has ever taken you. It's paranoia. Our conscience can be seared. Our conscience can be trained incorrectly. It can, it can lead to paranoia. But our conscience can also lead to destruction. When Judas saw that they, Jesus was being crucified, his conscience struck hard. He brought the money back, but they wouldn't take it. They wouldn't change the, the orchestration of Jesus' death. And Judas' conscience led him to go out and hang himself. Judas was within God's grace. He could have been saved even after betraying our Lord. Say, so how do you know that? Because God forgave Peter. And I truly believe with all of my heart that one of the reasons that we have such a, an epidemic of suicides in this nation is because the world has silenced the message of the church that the conscience can be cleared. And it doesn't have to lead you to destruction. What do we do with our conscience? What do we do with our conscience? John tells us there are some things that we should do in order that we can know that, our, that all is well, regardless of where our conscience is tonight. The first thing that he would tell us is, let our actions be motivated by love. This is the message of holiness, isn't it? That we would be controlled by divine love. That our actions, our motives would all come out from perfect love. When we, our actions come from a position of perfect love, even if our conscience would smite us, we can know that all is still well. I think most of you here have figured out that your pastor likes to tease. And I... I and I hope that it's good-naturedly. I, I hope that, and I try to be mindful of who it is that I'm teasing, that, that they can take it. And uh, I tell you that Dean can't take it. <laughs> but I enjoy, I enjoy some good-natured teasing. And, uh, I, and one of the things that I think is if you can dish it, you ought to be able to take it. You know, and... When you know, Dean was giving it to me tonight before the service. But what he didn't know is that I get the pulpit, and so I get to get him back. 
But you know, you know, I could, I could go over to the parsonage tonight, having teased Dean here publicly, and, and as he said, not fairly. And I could go over, and, and guess what? My conscience could strike. So you know what? You really embarrassed Dean in front of all his friends and family. You know, you, you really shouldn't have said that. You, you, re you really ought not to harass him like that. The pulpit's no place for teasing. And my conscience could just really get on me. And you know what, I, what I, I need to do? I need to ask myself, did I tease him from a, 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 a divine love? Did I tease him in love? Or did I tease him for meanness? Was I trying to get back at him because he got me earlier? Is this revenge? A little bit. <laughs> or is this because we have a relationship and, and he knows that, that I don't mean any malice and don't mean any hurt towards him? And you know what? If I'm not sure, maybe I know my motives. Maybe I know my, in my heart that, that I'm clear, that I acted from divine love. It may be wise for me to give him a call and say, you know, Dean, I, I, I apologize. Uh, maybe I took it a little too far publicly. I just want you to know, I, di I, don't mean it, I, didn't mean to, I didn't mean to embarrass you. If my conscience bothers me, I just go and make it right. What am I talking about? I'm talking about our actions being controlled by perfect love. Amen. My teasing can be motivated for, from love or it can be out of malice. And maybe none of you would be, know my motive. One of the things that's so dangerous is we often assign motives to people when we don't have any idea what their motives are. It's a dangerous thing to do. It's really dangerous to judge a person's heart when we don't know. And there have been times that people have said things that have hurt me, cut me deeply. And I've had to say, Lord, help me to forgive them. I don't know what their motive is, but help me to find the most positive motive that could be and assign it to that. Unless they would apologize and say otherwise that their motive wasn't pure. But help me not to judge their motives. No one would know if my teasing was, was from the right spirit or not. Maybe Dean might know, based on our relationship. But if I act out of divine love, and that's my natural go-to, that is how I behave. In all my doings, I act in divine love. Do you know what happens? People begin to assume, even, just, even will overlook some pretty bad stuff. It's say, like, you know what, I know him, and I know his motives. He always acts in divine love, and I can't explain why he did that. That looks pretty bad. And that's not an excuse, folks. It's not an excuse to, to, to be mean or, or, or cruel. But what I'm just trying to help us to understand is if we want to have our conscience in the right place, we're going to have to start by acting out of a position of divine love, a motivation of divine love. And if I can start with divine love 
and my actions come from divine love. Even if I blow it, even if, if Dean were to come to me later and say, you know what, you really embarrassed me. I can say, I'm sorry, Dean, I didn't mean to hurt you. That was not in my heart at all. And I'm sorry, and I'll, and I'll try to be careful. I'll try not to embarrass you anymore. And I'll do my best not to because, again, I'm acting out of divine love. I know it hurts him. I know it embarrasses him. I'm not going to do it. I might slip up. I'm not saying that I won't slip up. We're human. We might, I, might, I, I might have to catch myself. But when a person acts from divine love, that we can know that even though our conscience may smite us, we can go back and say, what was my motivation? Was it perfect love? Or was I trying to hurt him? Was I trying to get back? Was I looking for revenge? Was I putting myself first? Was I acting selfishly? It's a good place to start. It really is a good place to start. Let's begin with perfect love, motivated by divine love. And then he tells us, John tells us to follow his commandments. Let me say it this way. When you don't know what's right and what's wrong, always start with God's word. Always start with God's word. This is getting out of, out of fashion. Did you know even the churches are getting away from this? I didn't, know, I didn't know. I just found out that this year that, that this is go, getting out of fashion. It's, we're kind of fuddy-duddies in, in the church world because we believe that, that the Bible speaks to what's right and what's wrong. I didn't know that was unusual in the church. I didn't know you could be a Christian and not think the Bible was, was, the, was the book on what's right and what's wrong. tell you there's no discipline, there's, there's no book uh, that can be sold at a Christian bookstore, there's, there's no uh, pamphlet, there's no, there's no news articles or, or articles in, in the flame or, or uh, anything like that that can override God's word. I don't care who is the author of it. And with all due respect and all due uh, love and appreciation for Brother Albert Shaper, even he cannot override God's word in his position of leadership. And in my position of pastor, I have no authority and no right to ever contradict God's word. And when we start with God's word, what a beautiful place. What a beautiful place. You know, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask God, God, will you help me to understand what you're saying here in this passage? Would you help me to live this out? You know, I believe that there's a lot of people who are missing out on the blessings of God because they are not starting with God's Word as the authority for their life. I think there's people that are trying to serve God. I think there's people who, who claim Jesus is their Savior. But when they read some of these scriptures, their pastors or their parents or somebody has misinformed their conscience and they've explained these things away. And folks, we need to get away from 
the authority of man and get back to the authority of God's word. And that might mean, oh boy, I better find somewhere to duck behind me unless someone throws a songbook at me. Now stand over here. It may mean that we're doing some things that are not in God's word. We've man-made those rules. And we've put out burdens that Jesus, that Jesus called them burdens that God never intended for us to carry. No songbooks yet. You say, you know, we were having a debate in one of our a conference that I was in. I won't tell you what it is because some of you will pick sides and you won't listen to, the, to what I'm trying to help us understand. We're having a fight. Not really a fight, a debate. You know, this side's getting up and ooh, 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 and this side's getting up and ooh, you know, and, and it, it, I mean, it's, and, and I believe there was a spirit of holiness there. I do. I don't believe it was carnal. But the sides had been drawn and, and the line and the sand had been put down and, and people were getting on their sides. And there were people that were standing up that said, this in our discipline is not biblical. There is no biblical justification to have this in our discipline. It needs to go. And there were other people on the other side of the line and this is what they said. We don't know why our forefathers put it in there, but we got to trust their wisdom and let's just leave it in there because that our forefathers put it in there. I'm just going to tell you I was on the other side of the line. Because I believe this. God's word is greater than the wisdom of our forefathers. I respect our forefathers. They blazed a trail for us. And I don't think we should do like so many have done in history and have torn down and ripped apart uh, our president, uh, George Washington, and, and some of our founding fathers and, and torn them down. I know they didn't live perfect lives. And I know they weren't great examples of, uh, of some th areas in their lives. They had, they had some holes in their, perhaps, their morality. But folks, we ought to respect our forefathers who sacrificed much for us. I'm not sure I can find scripture and verse for that. Perhaps honoring authority. But it bothers me. It bothers me that, that people who sacrifice so much for us and then we, then we mistreat them because they didn't live up to our standard. Maybe not even the standard they should have lived up to bothers me that we would just rip them apart. And so I don't think that we should just willy-nilly disregard and, and uh, attack and, and undercut and undermine our forefathers who paved a path for us. But if you would be honest in your heart you would recognize that some of our wise forefathers faced things that we didn't face and we faced things they didn't face. And th some lines have changed. So I don't believe it. Well, let me, I could take you back into my office. I've got a, a book called Steele's Answers, Daniel Steele. Great, great holiness author. People wrote into questions to him. 
and asked, should a Christian drink root beer and ginger ale and other kinds of soda pop? And he said, and this is his reply, that if you don't want to get burned by Satan's fire, don't play with his kindling. He, he, pro, he uh, prohibited, in, in his estimation, in his, in his book, no drinking of ginger ale or root beer or soda pop. So if you drink soda, you're disregarding the teachings of a founding father of the holiness movement. I didn't get any amen, so that's all right. <laughs> what I'm trying to help us understand is this. There's a reason Daniel Steele wrote that. In his day, those, those uh, the, uh, soda pops and those kind of things were sold in places where there was loose morals. And there, were, and there was sold in places where, where the ruffians and the rough crowd would hang out in. And there was, a, there was a warning that he was trying to, to give to his generation. He was trying to help them to stay away from places that could compromise their testimony and compromise their convictions. But it's no longer that way. And we, have, we no longer look at Daniel Steele's answer to that particular question and regard that as something we should live by. We start with God's word. Now let me just pause a moment. I'm going to go the opposite way just a little bit. And I want to say this. We have to be careful with what we face today. And there are going to be times that as your pastor, Brother Shaper, and, and those that make the, the rules are going to perhaps say some things that we need for this day in this culture that maybe we can't find in verse 4, but we need it for our perception. And it's good and it's wise to have some safety net, some rules that perhaps someday we won't have to follow, but for right now, we need that protection. We need those guidelines. Okay, so that might sound like I'm talking out both sides of my mouth. But what I'm just trying to help us understand is that when we start with God's words, we can oftentimes find principles that will help us to be wise for whatever generation and whatever the enemy would throw at us to undermine us spiritually. He, God's principles in his word will hold us steady. And there may be times that we're going to say, you know, that no longer applies. That, that the culture is no longer about that. And there may be things that we may say, you know, we used to be able to do that, but I think we better stay away from it because it sets a bad precedent and a bad example in our, in our, in our generation. You know, Paul told us that if it was going to offend a brother, if it was going to cause a brother to backslide, not to eat meat. Because of their weakness, of their conscience. And you know, that we hear very little about that these days, all we're concerned about is my life and my rights and all that I can do. And we're very little concerned about causing another person to stumble. And so I just caution us to just be careful on this principle. Start with God's word. Start with God's word. You, God may probably, very likely, has something to say about whatever you're facing, whatever question you're, you're going through. And it may be 
that you just need to walk extra careful so that someone else doesn't fall. And finally, if our conscience is not healthy, if, it's, if, it's, if it condemns us, John tells us, rely on God's grace. If your conscience condemns you tonight, I want you to know that you can go to God and you can confess out. You can say, God, you know about this in my life and you know about how this situation and you know about that. And you can just confess out and just embrace God's grace. I don't know that I have to spend a lot of time here preaching, but I think this is perhaps the, one of the, the most beautiful and the most hopeful of all the points. If our conscience condemns us, God's grace is greater than our conscience. And all of us have sinned, and all of us have come short of God's glory. And there's probably not a single one of us that, that doesn't have things that we, we wouldn't want to publicly say that we did. And there are probably all of us have what people call skeletons in their closet. And you know, Satan can remind us about those things. But like we sang about, my sins are covered by the blood. They are covered by the blood. My iniquity so vast has been blotted out at last. They are all covered by the blood. God's grace is greater than our conscience. You say, preacher, I'm, I'm one of those that has a paranoia. I have that eternal insecurity you were talking about. I want you to know you can go to God and you can talk to him about it. And He can give you a clear conscience. He can help you. And perhaps you need to talk to a pastor or, or my wife or a godly saint and just talk to them about some of your paranoia and get some wisdom from God's Word and, God, and from, from God's people. I want you to know that no matter your sin, no matter your doubts, God's grace is greater. In your conscience. So our consciences aren't perfect. Our consciences are not the Holy Spirit. But God, in His wisdom, helped John to pen these words to help us to be able to get our conscience in the right place. We each one can have a healthy conscience, motivated by love, informed by God's word, and freed by God's grace. Amen. Let's stand together.